Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. hey Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of One Stop Co-op Shop. Man, it feels like a while since we've done a regular episode, and I feel like I say this every time we record. No, but this time it actually has been. I think uh, I was looking back. I think it's been like six or seven episodes since, especially since you and I were on an episode doing a review together. All right, everybody. Well, we promised to be better. Actually, we got a bunch of stuff lined up for October, so super excited what we're going to have coming for you in the future. But for today, we're getting into one of the hottest topic games coming up later this year, Marvel Champions, the LCG from Fantasy Flight Games. Yeah, I was super excited about this one when I saw it announced at Gen Con this year. I, first of all, didn't even realize they had the Marvel license. I don't think anybody did. And then to announce a new LCG in that universe and to have it co-op on top of that, wow, awesome. I was actually not as excited about it. I was like, give me my Arkham and get out of my face. But uh, my opinion might have evolved since then. Yeah, so just to give you a little bit of background on the game, it is set in the Marvel Universe, so you are going to be playing Marvel Heroes. The base game has Captain Marvel, Iron Man, She-Hulk, Black Panther, who else, Mike? Spider-Man. Oh, how could I forget Spider-Man? I was going to say. Yeah, and then uh, the villains, you have three villains in the first core set. The three villains are Rhino, Claw, and Ultron. I've heard of one of those three. Yeah, you, you've heard of Claw. Claw was played by Andy Serkis. He's the guy who stole all the vibranium. He was in, uh, I think, Age of Ultron, and then he was, like, the villain in Black Panther before uh, Killmonger became the villain. Oh, you know, like, the guy okay. who could, like, shoot lasers from his arm. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, okay, so, so Rhino's the only one I don't know, but he's cool because he's, like, a human rhino, so... You don't know Rhino? Wrong with that. Rhino's a classic Spider-Man villain, and I think he, he was either in Amazing Spider-Man 2 or Spider-Man 3, like, at the end, in kind of a wasted uh, little appearance. Oh, gotcha. All right, the only the only Rhino I can think of is the guy from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Rocksteady or Bebop or whatever his name was? Oh, yeah, I forget which one was which. <laughs> But he was cool, so... All right, so before we get way off the rails, we do want to thank some of our Patreon supporters. Today, we'd like to thank Kirk Gardner and Marco Finnis. They are both co-op fans. And Rob Tapfield, who is a co-op lover. All right, Mike. Well, while you're at it, why don't you get into the rules? Because we've... I mean, people know the Marvel Universe. Like, that's the theme of the game. I mean, there are minor stories in there. But I think the stories are going to get more flushed out in future expansions where they have these, like, story packs. Sure. So the key thing is on each of your turns, you draw up to whatever your current hand size is, which can change based on your character and their state. And you can use as many of those cards as you want during your turn. And you pay for cards by discarding other cards from your hand. So it's not like most games where like you're building up cards in your hand or losing them and you can have nothing in your hand. In this one, you're always going to have options every turn, but you have to kind of decide how you want to use your resources to uh, play the cards. And in general, cards will let you attack enemies or will let you thwart the villain schemes because the villain is trying to put tokens on this main scheme. And usually if they can get it all the way up, they'll uh, advance to the next stage in their scheme or they'll just win the game and you'll lose. Meanwhile, their damage will be hitting you back. After you finish your turn, they get a chance to play their own cards and attack you. 
And it is sort of a Lord of the Rings style mechanic where when they attack or when they add stuff to their scheme, they add an extra card, kind of like the shadow cards in Lord of the Rings, and it might boost their value by some amount. But they're, so they're attacking you. They're knocking down your hit points. If you get defeated, you're out. And one of the cool things is uh, once on your turn, you can flip to your alter ego. So Spider-Man can become Peter Parker or vice versa. And when you're on the Spider-Man side, you can't be hurt by the villain anymore, but they're going to advance their scheme more. But you can uh, heal yourself. So you kind of have like a give and take of uh, going between fighting the villain and resting as your character. All right, Mike, thanks for that quick description. And let's get into our top five list. So if this is your first time joining us, thank you. And what we do here is we cover the top five things to know about the game. So we each tell our top five, starting with number five, which we think is the least important, and going all the way to number one, which is the most important. And also at the end of this, we're going to have a design discussion on deck construction as well. So stay tuned for that after the review. All right, you want me to get into mine first? Sure. What's your number five? So my number five is the level of cooperation in the game, and this is a pro for me. First of all, they did kind of a cool thing. The game is not fully simultaneous, although quite honestly, you could play it that way and it would just make it slightly easier. And I kind of might have accidentally played that way for some of my solo plays. But in general, although it's one player's turn, they can request that any other player take an action. So any of the cards will like give them an action. So it's semi-simultaneous and does allow players to kind of intermix their actions on top of that, for anyone who's familiar with Lord of the Rings, you have a similar mechanic here where enemies are attacking you and the boss is attacking you. And in Lord of the Rings, you have the Sentinel keyword that lets you defend for another player, and you also have the Range keyword that lets you attack another player's enemies. But here, that's just assumed. So I can block for you whenever I want. I can attack your guys whenever I want. So that already increases the cooperation quite a bit. And then on top of all of that, you have a ton of cards that can be played for other players to boost other players. Like many, many of the upgrade cards can go on anybody. You can heal other players. You can give them card draw, all the stuff you would expect in a game. But yeah, so I felt like the cooperation here was as strong, if not stronger, than either of the other cooperative LCGs that Fantasy Flight has published. Yeah, no, that's a good one. I have some of those things in some of my other points, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. But I agree, the teamwork here is great. And I do like that they don't limited or restricted. It's funny because in a lot of the games, they do restrict your teamwork that you're allowed to have and they're cooperative games. So I don't understand why you would restrict how you can help somebody. So I'm glad they kind of did away with that one in this. I mean, I can see the reasoning. They want to have more differentiation between characters. Like here, they made everyone have Sentinel and range, which means you can't have characters that, you know, don't have those things. <laughs> sure. I mean, I guess you could, but it would be like a new keyword or a new uh, ability. So in We're Lord of the taking Rings, away you your ability to cooperate. Yes, I mean, I, I can totally imagine them doing that, right? Like, this guy never can defend for somebody else or whatever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it just gives you new ways of tweaking it, I guess. Sure. All right, so let me get into my number five. My number five is that this is still an LCG. And what I mean by that is when they announced it, they've announced several different things, like the core box has everything you need for four players to play. And that's more true than most games, but it's still not 100% true, and I'll get that into that in a minute. But they announced that, you know, you're going to be able to buy character packs, and you can just buy the characters you want. And you're going to buy villain packs, and you can just buy the villains you want. And then you're going to have these story packs, which kind of brings everything together and tells the story. But I still kind of feel like it's an LCG. Let's talk about the core set. The core set does have everything you need to play as four different characters, and you can play them all simultaneously. But they don't give you enough of the neutral cards 
to have a maximum set, and you know players are going to want maximum sets of the best cards. So, not that the neutral cards are the best cards, but there'll be some neutral cards people are going to want a full set of three of, and you only get four in the base set of all the neutral cards. So, people are still going to need to buy two or three core sets if they really want to get a full set of all the cards, or each player that comes is going to need to bring their own stuff coming in. So, Yes, while it's way better than any other LCG as far as the core set goes, you still, if you want a maximum deck build for all your characters that are going to play, are going to need to buy multiple core sets. The other thing is, yes, you're going to be able to buy hero packs individually, and you don't have to buy a hero if you don't want them, but they're going to give you cards that are going to go in and match with these other sets. So you're still going to want to buy heroes, even if you're not interested in the hero, because they not only come with their hero cards, but they're going to have cards in these different classes that come with the game. So we didn't really talk about that. But not only do you have your cards in your hero set, but you have these four different classes that you could be one of the four different classes. Plus you have neutral cards you can add in. So they're going to give you more neutral cards. They're going to give you more cards for these classes. So I do feel like you're probably going to want to buy most of the heroes, even if you're not interested in that hero themselves. And then the last thing is the villain decks the same way. I do think they're going to do things. And this one I'm not as sure about, but it feels like they kind of put story together with these different villains. And so you're probably going to want those as well to match in with your other villains, or they may come with these other schemes that you can kind of add in to increase or decrease the difficulty. So Yes, you don't have to buy everything, but I feel like, you know, they've done these microtransactions to the point where they're giving you enough in each set that you're going to want to keep collecting and buying them. So for me, that's my number five. It's not a huge one because you can decide for yourself whether that's the level of commitment you want to have for the game and you could get away with just the base set in this one. But I think people are going to treat it like any other LCG out there. Yeah, I won't disagree with the overall assessment that this game will be expensive if you want to collect, and most people probably will. I do not agree at all that you need to buy multiple core sets. I think that's wrong. The neutral cards, you're right. You don't have enough of all of them for every player to have a maximum amount. But the majority of them are only one per deck, so those four cards are a maximum amount. Like Nick Fury, you can only each have one of him in your deck. So there's no problem with that. Uh, same thing with all of the double resource generators. You can only have one of those in your deck. So again, you're going to have enough for every single player right out of the box. I think there's only maybe, I don't know, two or three neutral cards that don't have enough for every player to have the maximum amount, and they're not that good. So I don't really see it at all being needed to buy an extra set. I mean, just like Arkham and Lord of the Rings, if you want to be crazy <laughs> and like you know, have four of you all play rogues and all use the exact same cards, then yes, you might need to buy more extra expansions. But if you play in a sort of logical way where, like, each of you picks a different class, there's no reason you should ever need to buy a second core set. I'll, I'll kind of push back on that one a little bit. Well, let me give you another example then. Both She-Hulk and Iron Man, I think it was, tell you to build the aggressive deck or whatever the, that one's called but they only have enough aggressive cards for one well, of you to play I, I think that. that was a misstep. I don't know why. But th those are just suggested starting decks. You shouldn't use those after your first or second game. So, yes, if, if you want to use the starting decks, don't play with both She-Hulk and Iron Man for that one learning game. And then build your own deck and don't worry about it, you know? Well, sure, but we couldn't have two aggressive heroes, for example, at all. Well, no, that, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's identical to, like, not having two rogues or not having, uh, you know, two tactics focused decks in Lord of the Rings. 
until you have a big card pool, you can never double up on a class. Like, that's just how the game works. No matter how many cores you buy, um, the game is intended for you to play each of the different classes, you know? So one of you is protection, one of you is aggressive. So yes, I mean, you can play in a silly way that is not how the game is intended and have all of you do, like, an aggressive deck, and then you have to buy four cores for, you know, so you each have one, but that's not smart. Like, that's not the way that you're supposed to be playing the game unless you just want to spend extra money for no good reason. Well, sure, but the way it's sold is you will never need to do that. And I I don't know that I agree with that, is my point. Like, if you both want to be aggressive, you don't have that option and you would need to buy a second core. I'm not saying it's a smart way to purchase it or whatever else. I'm just saying that you cannot play every combination you would potentially want to with just one core. Well, but... Yeah, I I don't think what you're saying is a logical argument. Because for you to be able to do that, they would have to include... uh, 12 copies of every card in the game just so that everyone could play the exact same class at the same time. I'm not saying that would be smart and it would certainly make it more expensive. I'm just, you know, I want to let people know and that's why it's number five, right? This isn't my top point here. But my point is that that is what comes in the box and you are, if you do want to build some kind of crazy all rogue build or whatever, you couldn't do it with just one core. Well, you could for one player. You couldn't do it for two players simultaneously. Correct. Yes. Okay. So my number four is also focused on the heroes, and that's how unique each of the heroes feels in this game. So as we already said, you have five heroes in the core set, and each of them has 15 unique cards that always go in their deck. So kind of like Arkham LCG, where you had, you know, two to five unique cards that were always in your deck, but here they've amped it up so that a major portion of your deck Uh, You know, close to half of it is these unique cards that only you will ever use and you have to use in every game. Now, this could be seen by some people as limiting the deck construction, and hey, that's fine. I can see that point. But what's great is that it does get the feeling of uh, sort of the modular deck system games that I love, like Sentinels of the Multiverse or the things from Blacklist like Street Masters. Each character has their own tricks, has their own combos and not like so restrictive that you have to play the character a certain way you can still build them different ways and it feels very different but even in this core set they're really cool and i imagine they're going to get wackier and wackier as we go along like iron man when he's on the iron man side draws almost no cards until he gets his iron man suit built and then he's like the most powerful uh, hero in the game and then captain marvel can build up energy and do these like crazy energy blasts and destroy a huge enemy in one attack if she saves up for enough time So they all feel different. They all feel fun to explore. And it definitely excites me. Although, again, we're talking about a lot of money investment. Uh, It excites me to think about, like, what the Captain uh, America deck is going to look like and what some of my other favorite Marvel characters are going to look like. So it's taking some of the stuff I loved about, for example, Sentinels of the Multiverse and bringing it into a theme, Marvel, that I'm more familiar with and have more attachment to. Yeah, I agree with all that. So I'm going to get into my number four, which is the base difficulty is very easy. Like, I think very, very easy. Like, almost super easy mode. I didn't have any problem defeating any of the bad guys. Now, the good news on that is that they have ways to increase difficulty in multiple ways. So with each villain, you have a side scheme, and it actually tells you in the core set what the difficulty of the side scheme is. Now, it's not a lot of cards, so it's not going to make that much of a difference when you're originally playing them, but some of the later side schemes are are supposedly a little bit harder, and I'm sure as you get more expansions and more sets, they're going to give you more of these side schemes to add in as well. But the other thing they do is they give you three levels of villain to fight, And normally you fight level one and level two. 
But if you want to ramp up the difficulty, you can play against level two and level three. Plus, there are other ways of tweaking the difficulty as well. So I just feel like they do a good job of starting you off easy and letting you progress to the level of difficulty you want. And I think they learned a lot from Lord of the Rings, where it was just super hard to beat just even a basic guy and people would get frustrated. Here, I think it's on the easy end to start with, but you can crank up that difficulty if you want to. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. That's going to come up a little bit later on my list. Although I will say, (laughs) playing solo Spider-Man, Rhino definitely uh, got some lucky draws and killed me straight up uh, two or three games in a row. So easy is certainly easy, but doesn't mean you automatically win every time. Sure. No, I think you are making strategic decisions throughout, and that's why it still feels good. But like I, I was never too worried, and I don't know. Maybe I just got lucky on my games, too. I mean, I played quite a few no, of no, them. No, no, no. I, I, I 100% agree with you. I'm just saying I played stupidly and got killed sometimes. <laughs> sure, sure. All right, so my number three is very closely related to stuff we've already been talking about, but that is the deck construction, which will be our design discussion in a little bit. This one is a huge pro for me but could be a like, moderate mix to a con for other people, depending on their preferences. So to be clear, I love deck construction with pretty strict limits because I am not great and I don't gain a lot of enjoyment from just diving into a huge pool of cards and picking whatever I want to do with it and creating ridiculous combos that no one could have ever conceived. Like, I was never a good Magic the Gathering player back when I played that. I would just build, like, a basic green creature deck, and then everyone's uh, cool combos would destroy me. So here, kind of like in Arkham, so I I love Arkham LCG, how you have, for most characters, just two class cards to pull from. That's it. You just gotta look through two pools of cards. I also loved uh, the Star Wars LCG, how you would just pick certain packs, and you'd have to pick the good and the bad cards with those. Here it's in a way, I would say as restrictive as the Star Wars LCG and definitely more restrictive than Arkham in that you have these 15 hero cards I already mentioned that you have to include and then everything else just comes from the neutral cards and a single color of cards. Now I'm sure they'll have heroes who will break that rule as we go along, but at least for these basic heroes, it's so quick to build a deck, it's so easy. Now, (laughs) to be fair, there's very little options in the core sets. Don't think you're getting a lot of deck construction here. But I like the uh, ability, you know, I can see the future and see that I will still enjoy the deck construction as we get hundreds of more cards added to the pool. So I really like it. It's fast. It's fun. And the characters truly feel different when you mix the different classes in. Like when I try Spider-Man as a defender versus as an aggressive person versus as a leader, all of them work, but all of them play very differently. So that's another like kind of cool thing with the deck construction. You can take the exact same hero and flip what kind of hero they're going to be that day. I like all of that as well. I like the deck construction in it myself. And I like that they give you basic decks already set up when you get the game. And what I'm hoping is when these hero packs come out, they're going to continue that trend where they'll already be pre-built in the deck with a 40 card deck that works together. And then if you want to break it up and take some of those neutral cards, take some of those, you know, class specific cards and add them into your general pool, you can do that and build the hero however you want. But I'm hoping they keep up the trend of giving you playable characters out of the box. And I do like that because, you know, a lot of times I don't want to construct my own character, but if I feel like it, then great, I can do that as well. And again, they give you ways to ramp up the difficulty so I can make it more difficult based on how powerful I think I'm making my hero as well. 
I'm 99% sure that is what they're going to do because I believe in the Captain America expansion announcement, which is the first hero pack that's coming out. They said that the majority of the cards would just be the leadership class. And I think they're called aspects, not classes, but whatever. <laughs> We've been calling them classes. Yeah, so I think like he has an entire Captain America deck with these specific leadership cards ready to go. And then they just splash in a few of the other colors as extra things for deck building. But it's primarily this one aspect and this one hero, and that's what you get. Yeah, no, that would be pretty cool. And again, hopefully they give you, similar to what they do in the core game, they say, hey, this is how you build this deck. If you want to construct it after that, do what you want. But at least they give you the all the building blocks you need to make a starting deck. So hopefully that continues in the future with these character packs. So what's your number three, Peter? So my number three is something you mentioned earlier, and that is the semi-simultaneous nature of the game. So as you guys know, if you've listened to us long enough, we love simultaneous play. It all started with the Reckoners, gosh, a couple years back. That was actually the first review copy of a game we ever got. And I guess we didn't mention it here, but this was a review copy sent to us by Fantasy Flight as well. And, you know, the simultaneous play just makes it so there's no downtime between turns. You know, even in uh, Codenames Duet, that's what we liked about that. Everybody's always thinking. And so it takes the downtime away. And so there's a little bit of that in this as well, because as Mike said earlier, you can take actions on any player's turn. And those aren't just actions from cards in front of you. That includes actions from cards in your hand as well. So it's actually very open. There are a few things that aren't considered actions, but a lot of the things in the game are considered actions. And so you can do quite a bit of simultaneous play without cheating at all and really decrease your downtime. So I I don't know. I just love when games do that. And I think this one does a good job of doing it. Yeah. And again, if you want to bend the rules a little bit, you can literally play fully simultaneous. And the only thing is you'll have a little bit of an advantage over the enemies because you can like resolve things in the ideal order. But I'll certainly examine that as a sort of unofficial variant, I think. Well, yeah, and I like things like playing cards from your hand, which are, hey, as an action, draw two cards or whatever else. Well, you know what? That's an action. I can do that even if it's your turn. So I like things where, you know, it's going to change what you might do on your turn. Being able to do that on other people's turns is a huge advantage. And that, again, isn't even bending the rules because cards like that are typically actions. So for me, that's one of the things that I I really think they do well. I totally agree with you. So my number two is very similar to Peter's uh, number four and kind of the customization of the difficulty. I'm focusing on how the villains are customized for this one and how they're different. So it's sort of the corollary to my number three and four. But yeah, as Peter mentioned, you can change up the difficulty of each of these three villains and make them a harder or easier version of themselves with different special abilities for them and more health. But then additionally, the option to splash in these side schemes, which are only, you know, six or seven or eight cards. But as small as that seems, the villain's deck is pretty darn small to begin with. So they end up being like a third of the villain's deck. So you see these cards all the time and they can drastically change not only the difficulty, but just the overall kind of tenor and feeling of a play. Like, the difference in feel between playing Rhino with the basic bomb threat card versus playing Rhino with the next card up that spawns these really tough, like, extra supervillains to help him out, completely different. Suddenly, your abilities that kind of splash damage around become far more useful, whereas normally against Rhino, you just want to smash him because he doesn't really have any henchmen to help him out. 
So I love that the difficulty is incredibly easy to adjust, but also the fact that I don't really feel like I'm getting three villains in this set. With three villains and I think uh, six side schemes, Five. I feel like I'm getting 18 combinations of villains that will feel very differently. And kind of like the hero stuff and the deck construction we were just talking about, this is so simple to do. You just pick a villain, pick a side scheme, shuffle them together, bam, you're done. But each of the villain decks, I believe, because I know the uh, Green Goblin one that's announced will have, I think, a couple of side schemes. As you buy villain decks, you're not only going to get a new villain that you can mix with every side scheme you've bought so far. You're also going to get new side schemes that can mix with every villain you've bought so far. So... You know, unlike Arkham Horror LCG, where you've got like the eight scenarios in a campaign and that's it, or Lord of the Rings, where you've got these one-off things for the most part, uh, here you've got like this option to mix and match every expansion you get to just incredibly increase the variety, even when I think with only a few expansions. Like, I could see myself buying like three hero packs and three villain packs and being happy for the rest of my time with the game. Yeah, until they come out with your favorite hero down the road. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not saying I'm not going to buy every pack. I'm just saying <laughs> that I could imagine not buying every pack. And just to be clear, there are only five side schemes in the base game. I don't want anybody getting the wrong idea there. But, I mean, it's still a lot. I mean, the, the point still stands. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah I, I have not had my copy for a while. Peter borrowed it, and then I sent it to uh, <laughs> to Colin and Steve to, to play some. So, yeah, I'll see it eventually. No, I totally agree with that. It is neat how you can mix and match stuff. Now, I didn't get to play with that nearly as much as I wanted to or the customization because, again, we sent it off to Colin and Steve. But uh, I-, I enjoyed my time with that and just playing around with putting different villains with different side schemes. And, I mean, you could even put two or three, it says, in there, side schemes together. There are some ways to adjust the difficulty with that as well. So it- it's kind of neat how it all comes together and how they... You know, in Sentinels of the Multiverse and in all the Sadler Brothers games, like you were saying, or Blacklist games, they all have two decks, one for the environment and one for the villain. I love smashing them together. You know, anytime you can have less decks, it it works for me. So it, it makes a lot of sense. You still feel like there are differences, but at the same time, you're not having to pull from two different decks, have two different phases for it just to add a little variety in. All right. So, Peter, what's your number two? So my number two goes back to, I believe it was your number four, with the differentiation of the characters. The characters all do feel super different. Now, there are a couple of them that want to put equipment out, Black Panther and Iron Man, but they play completely differently, even though they have a bunch of upgrade cards sitting in front of them. And not only do they feel different, this is one thing that I realized, and it reminds me, speaking of the Reckoners, it reminds me of the Reckoners in the fact that you feel super powerful. Like, you are doing some really, really cool stuff in this game. You know, there's a bunch of henchmen in front of you, and you're doing damage to all of them, and you're beating up the big bad guy, and you're not, you know, sometimes you'll do one or two damage, but then you'll do, like, 10 damage in a turn, or 15 damage, and you have these turns where you're doing super cool stuff, and it's the way a superhero game should feel. You know, you should have these heroic moments. You're not just some little jobber, and if a little jobber comes up, you just knock him out, and that's the way it should be. And... You know, the other thing they did with this is, like Lord of the Rings, you have these little allies that'll come in. The allies in the game are some pretty major characters. You have people like Hulk, Daredevil, you have people like Black Widow coming out to help you. And the cool part is, they are not the main characters, though. You are the main character. And the way it differentiates itself from games like Lord of the Rings are, whenever you use these characters to do something, they are going to get hurt. And they only have a limited amount of life. So you may only have three or four uses to a lot of these characters. And so 
it's kind of neat because they don't become the focus of the game. Like sometimes they do with Lord of the Rings. You are still the focus of the game. They come in and do some pretty cool stuff like they would in the movies. But in the movies, you know, they come in, they do their stuff, and then they disappear. And that's what's going to happen in this one, too. So I just like the way they splash those in and how heroic, you know, getting back to the main point, how heroic you feel because you are doing all these cool things. So that's my number two is characters are not only super different, but they feel heroic when you play them. Yeah, the ally mechanic is something I love. It was an honorable mention on my list. And it's something I didn't get to mention in my video, and I kind of regretted it afterwards. It's certainly, I I can see sort of the fingerprints of the recent uh, Legend of the Five Rings redesign, where they have these uh, fate tokens and characters lose one every turn and eventually go away. It's not quite as restrictive here because they don't uh, take damage until you decide to use them, but I I really enjoy it. I I like all the things you uh, talked about with it there. Cool. All right, Mike, what's your number one? I got to imagine it's basically the same as yours. I love, love, like adore, cannot get enough of the puzzle of resolving each of your turns and how powerful and amazing you feel with your turn because you have a consistent set of cards to work with each turn. I I like resource management in general. I love resource management where I have to discard cards to pay for others. I liked it in uh, Summoner Wars. I liked it in Siege Storm that I did a video of recently. It's just one of my favorite mechanics. Like, oh man, I have to get rid of other cards I like to play these really cool cards that I want to play, but then I'm losing access to these other cards as I do it. But here it never feels bad. It never feels punishing because you are getting a whole new card uh, hand of cards at the end of the turn. One of the cool things they do compared to Lord of the Rings is that you untap and you defend at the beginning of your turn, so you can always defend if you want to, basically. And, like, defending doesn't feel like some kind of cruddy option that you have to do, and it takes away your chance to attack, necessarily. I mean, I guess it still does. But yeah, so I just love, like, figuring out the resources. I love figuring out how to play my cards in an ideal fashion. I love that I can just blow through everything and have an awesome turn, and then I get a whole new set of options. And kind of related to that, I love the alter ego concept, both thematically and mechanically. So you can, again, flip to one side or the other once per turn. So you can't flip to Peter Parker and then back to Spider-Man within the same turn. And you're making the villain be able to get their scheme more easily, but you're protecting yourself from damage when you're on the alter ego side. Another clever thing they did is that for all the characters, their alter ego side has more cards than their hero side. So it's just one more little incentive to go back and rest as your alter ego every once in a while, even if you aren't using the healing action, which I honestly didn't use very often. But a lot of the cool abilities are keyed thematically to your alter ego. Like you can't use Stark Industries to uh, develop some new tech while you're like in the field fighting as Iron Man. So I adore the puzzle. I adore the alter egos. I adore how it all kind of comes together to make every turn a fun puzzle to solve. You've heard our reviews before. You know that's always something that hits us well. So yeah, best thing about the game, no doubt for me. Yeah, that's part of my number one. I kind of cheated with my number one and made it a very broad (laughs) category here with like three subcategories. So this is like one, two, and three maybe. But um, I said they learned from their old designs. And this is something I always find interesting. You know, Fantasy Flight has a track record and people are just going to buy their stuff. And so sometimes when they originally come out with something, it's not the best conceived thing. The Lord of the Rings base box is a perfect example of that, where the difficulty was all over the place. You know, there wasn't enough for deck construction. You didn't 
you know, you only had enough for two players, really. They, they learned a lot of lessons from that in this base box, you can see. You know, it's very similar to Lord of the Rings in some ways where you're trying to, and, and even Arkham Horror LCG has this, where you're trying to put tokens on one card and advance it while you're trying to keep tokens away. Well, here you're not necessarily trying to put tokens on a card, but you're you're trying to take somebody's, you know, the, the main villain's life away, which is a very similar thing. So it's attacking versus, you know, taking away these scheme points and having, they have side quests, which are similar to stuff they have in Lord of the Rings as well, you know, where you could work on them or if you want to, but you don't have to, but you know, they're going to hurt you every turn if you don't work on them. So a lot of that they took from Lord of the Rings, but I think they made it better here. Journeys in Middle-earth, one of the things I love from that game is that you do have a hero, you have a class, and you have neutral cards, and you're putting them all together to build this deck, and it's very similar here. Now, it is not nearly as structured as it is in Lord of the Rings. Certainly, you have some deck building options here, but as Mike said earlier, the heroes have 15 cards that they're going to have every time, and so that hero feels like that hero should feel, and then you can make them, maybe today they're being very aggressive, maybe they're more in a leadership role next time they come out. So I do like how they have these packets of things, and they did it in Journeys of Middle-Earth, and they've done it again here, and then the one thing you mentioned as your number one, which is one of my favorite things that they took from Keyforge, is you refill your hand to a full hand at the end of every turn. So you never have wasted cards in your hand. You never have wasted turns. You're always getting rid of cards. And if you keep a card to go into your next turn, you've kept it on purpose, hoping that you know you have enough resources to pay for it on your next turn. So you're choosing to kind of hamper yourself because if you keep one card and you're supposed to draw to five, obviously you only draw four. Whereas if you had played that card, you draw five fresh cards. So you know, it doesn't let you get through your deck as fast. It doesn't let you use the energy. So you're basically giving up an energy because every card is worth at least one point toward paying for another card. So you are intentionally hampering yourself if you want to keep a card at the end of the turn. The other thing they do here, and they think they learned this from Keyforge also, is you untap everything at the end of your turn. And that does some really cool things here because it lets you decide to defend before you are deciding to attack. So if you are getting killed and I decide not to defend you, it's because I chose not to, not because I decided to attack earlier in the turn. And I know Lord of the Rings does it the other way. You do all your attacks first and then you're doing all your defense stuff. Well, no, no, I, I think it is defense and then attack. But the big thing is Lord of the Rings has you questing before you do any of those things. And that's where you get a ton of your characters tapped and they aren't available to defend or attack anymore. Right, but here you have a whole new set of cards. And as you pointed out to me at one point, there was a card that like lets you defend or do something if a scheme comes up. And you're like, oh, you have to hold that in your hand. I'm like, no, because you draw cards before you have to play that card. And so you have a full new set of cards and you can decide whether you want to play that either as an energy or you want to use it for defense. So I like how you are at your most fresh state when you have to deal with the enemy threats and it gives you options in not only in your hand, but also on the board, how to deal with those threats. So for me, I just think it's, you know, and that's something they did in Keyforge as well. You know, you refresh everything at the end. So if people exhaust you on their turn, then you don't get to use that on your turn. So I just love how that dynamic works. And I think they've learned a lot of lessons. You know, a lot of times when Fantasy Flight puts out a game, I feel like they are putting out the base game, and then they do a lot of things to make it better. Here, I feel like they've taken all those lessons from old games and made this base game really good because of it. 
Well, Peter, why don't you just go straight into your final thoughts because you're kind of on a roll here. Yeah, I mean, as you can tell, I'm very excited about the game. I, I really enjoyed it. The only worry I have is with higher player counts, even though it is semi-simultaneous, I think there can be some downtime unless everybody really knows the game well. And so that is the one thing that worries me. Teaching this game is not necessarily the easiest. There's still some wonky actions with the enemy phase. Now, again, one player can run that, but my first couple times it did take a, a little bit of getting used to, but that is the biggest negative I have to say about the game. And one thing I didn't mention earlier is the encounter set you have, even though it seems like three very different enemies, there's actually a story that carries through if you play you know, enemy one to enemy two to enemy three, there's actually a story that plays through in the base set. It's not an Arkham Horror level story here. Don't get me wrong. It's probably not even Lord of the Rings level as far as like what's going on. But the story does progress from one to the other. And that's right there baked into the game. So I didn't even realize that. I just played enemy one. And then when I played enemy two, I'm like, oh, that's cool. They're continuing the story. So I just really liked how they did that. And I, I think... I'm very excited for what is to come, and I, I can't wait to see these story sets, too, and, and what they do with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm clearly super excited about the game, too. This is only my second All 5 Pro review, apart from Spirit Island that we did near the beginning of the podcast. But I do want to clarify, I didn't have time to say this on my video. My video is just like, here are 5 Pros, best game ever, right? <laughs> I, I don't think, this is not my game of the year right now. I would not say it is my favorite game or the game I've enjoyed the most this year. It's it's up there. It's very much up there. But the fact that there are five pros doesn't mean like it's the most enjoyable game for me or the perfect game for me. It's just like Peter was saying. I think they have really learned from, you know, errors or missteps or just choices in the past. And I think this design is so clean and so purposeful and so well thought out. Doesn't mean it's the best game or the most innovative game in every way possible, but I think there are no glaring errors. There are no glaring flaws. Everything about it that is like kind of the core experience is great. Uh, the only things I'll add that are kind of potential negatives, uh, Peter mentioned that four player could be long for downtime potentially. I'll mention that one player, like a single hero, you're definitely going to have a lot more balance issues because this bad or really good draws will multiply their effects since you are the only hero in the game and the enemy has, like, so little health. So that's just something to note for those solo players who want to play with only a single hero. With two heroes, it's totally fine, always felt good, but with one hero, you know, it could be a little wonky. And the only other thing, like, yes, they say there are story packs coming out, and maybe that'll be amazing. I have no idea what that's going to look like. But for right now, if you're looking for a narrative experience like Arkham Horror LCG, or even like a semi-narrative experience like I think Lord of the Rings provides with the, you know, three or four stage quests, I don't think you have that here. And I, I'm kind of doubting the system can handle really good stories, but Fantasy Flight might totally prove me wrong. So if you really want like a narrative experience, I think this is one of the weaker ones, probably the weakest one of these cooperative LCGs. It's still a great game, but you know if you specifically want storyline, you're not really going to get it here. It's not a knock against the design. That's not what they're going for, but just something to kind of be aware of. And the last point I'd like to bring up too is that I was hoping this game would be accessible enough for non-gamers because the theme is so accessible. And as you guys know, I play a lot of the games with my 11-year-old son, and it was just a, a step too much for him, a little too much, and he does play a lot of games. So it isn't entry, entry level, and that's 
you know, sometimes you hope they they would do something like that, but there are enough moving parts. Plus, you know, you have a, the, the negative of drawing a new hand of five or six cards at the end of every turn is you have five or six new cards to read and try to figure out what you want to do with it. And so for new gamers, non-gamers, I think this is like a next step game, not a not an introductory game for them. When I would say I don't think any of the cooperative LCGs are intro level games. Because they all have the problem, like Peter said, of kind of, first of all, a lot of the reward is building your own deck, and that's already a big ask, even if this one probably makes it the easiest with those starter decks. And then, yeah, on top of that, you're reading tons of cards, complex, you know, text, you got to figure out how they all work together. Yeah, it's, it's not like a casual experience, necessarily. But I do think this is the best of all the LCGs of doing that. Maybe Arkham's a little bit easier, because you are only playing one card a turn, but this one's you know, this one's fairly accessible, just not, it wasn't as accessible as I was hoping. Sure. All right. So with that review done, let's get into our design discussion on deck construction. And again, this is distinct from deck building where you're adding cards as you go along throughout a game. And uh, the idea of building an entire unique deck before you play. So bread and butter here are going to be FFG's LCG model with uh, Lord of the Rings, Arkham Horror, and this one now. But, you know, this kind of stuff could apply to other games down the line, and there are some other games that have had some form of deck construction. It's certainly a bigger thing in non-cooperative realms, like in CCGs and such, but uh, I think it's still worth discussing a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, some of the pros and cons of doing this versus something like Sentinels of the Multiverse, where you're given a deck at the beginning and you can keep going. Yeah, so I think they do it right here in Marvel Champions because they give you the option of deck building. And like I said, as long as they keep giving you these pre-built decks, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Not only are you getting a pre-constructed deck so you don't have to deck build if you don't want to, but you're also given the option and the cards to be able to build different diverse decks if you would like to. Yeah, I would say this is a must, must do if you want to make your game accessible. And I think uh, co-op kind of requires more accessibility in this way, because with a competitive game, sort of the expectation is that either, you know, you're going to go to somebody else and they're going to have their own deck and you'll fight each other. So you're both in, both invested. Or I guess like some people do, I used to do with magic, you'll just build a couple of decks to kind of play against your friends and teach them the game. But for cooperative, ideally, people can make their own decks fairly easily or at least play their own decks. So, yeah, having a, a pre-gen is definitely good. A couple games that have done this that I think of, uh, Cerebria is one I'm going to cover pretty soon. And they have a kind of pre-constructed deck that is not only pre-constructed, but also has the simplest cards in it. So it also makes the game easier and kind of acts as a tutorial. Uh, same thing Marvel Champions did here. And then even though it's not quite deck construction, in a way it's kind of deck building, uh, but I also like the way that Spirit Island does it, where you're adding these cards to your deck, but they're fairly limited. You only see a, you know three of them at a time, and they have a suggested, like, build these cards, just pull them out of the deck and build them, don't worry about anything else, like, for the first few times you're playing a certain spirit. Yeah, no, that was really clever, too. You know, it, it is more deck building than deck construction, but I like the pre-generated, no, really, these are the cards you're going to add, and this is the order you're going to add them, and they make sure that they have synergies with what you're already doing in Spirit Island. So, yeah, I like that as well, even though it's not deck construction, it still gives you that same feeling of a guided early experience. 
Yeah, so another thing I'll add is, and we've already talked about this a lot with Marvel Champions, but I do like, although it might stick in the craw of people who want full freedom in their deck building, I do like when you have sort of a required set of cards you must include for your character or your class or what have you. And it could be as small as Arkham, where it's just a couple of cards. It could be as big as Marvel Champions, where it's like 15 cards. But I do think this gives you the best of both worlds in a way. As Peter already mentioned, you have the fun of sort of a Sentinels of the Multiverse deck where it is very finely tuned to work together. All the combos are already set up for you. You don't have the potential to build a bad deck. That deck is made to work the way it works, and it has a certain personality and uniqueness from that. But then you also get the flexibility and the variety of playing the same character or class or whatever multiple different ways. You know, Marvel Champions, again, being a perfect example of this, where you really have a lot of cards that give your character a clear kind of focus and bent, but you can mess around with that with the other things you build. Yeah, so there are two ways when I think of limiting deck building that Marvel Champions did it, and they're the only two I can really think of that you could do. Number one, as you just talked about, was you get the 15 cards of your class, gives you the best of both worlds. The other thing is they only let you pick one of the classes to build your character in as well. So you're limited. There's only four in the game currently, and you have to pick one of those paths to go down, and then you your deck building is limited to that. So even if you have a pool of you know, 100 cards, only 25 of them will be for that certain class. And so between that and neutral cards, you're going to be able to build the deck you want still, but you won't have as many cards to go through. It's a way to to narrow your focus. And I like when games do that as well. Certainly down the road, we know this as with any other LCG, it's still going to get out of control. But even when it gets out of control here, you're still going to be limited to that one class. And so you are still going to have a somewhat limited pool of cards. And typically those things tend to work in concert as well. And so that's another way of limiting new players from veering too far off the beaten path. You know, you can't go too far down the wrong path because the cards, you know, not only are your hero cards meant to go together, but the class cards are meant to go together as well. Yeah, and this does bring up a alternate way that FFG did this. Now, it is not for a cooperative game, but I would be fascinated to see how this would work in a cooperative card game. And that's the way that the Star Wars LCG did it. So for those not familiar, you'd get these uh, packs of six cards, and you would just include those packs. So if you wanted to have Han Solo you'd have to get some cards that combo with Han Solo, but you'd also often have to get some weaker cards. They tried to sort of internally balance the packs. So if you have, like, awesome cards in there, you're going to have some trash as well. Now, they didn't do a perfect job, but I think the idea of this is really fascinating for a few reasons within a cooperative game. First of all, it would make things so quick to set up because, again, you're not selecting 30 or 40 unique things. You're selecting like four packs or five packs and you're good to go. But secondly, I do think that internal balancing is pretty fascinating. It can be a way to sort of reduce the min-maxing that a lot of players will do by, uh, you know, pairing the great with the lousy. And also, I think it just kind of allows experimentation and fun and, like, let me just throw, like, three random things together and see how they go. So, hasn't happened yet, but I would be really interested to see how a cooperative game might kind of implement that sort of deck building in some way. Yeah, I agree. I always thought that was a clever idea with Star Wars, how you just, 
you were given these cards and you have to evaluate it. Now, I don't know that it, it certainly helps the evaluation process, but it's sometimes it also hurts the evaluation process. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're not now weighing one card against another card. You're weighing a set of five cards against another set of five cards. And it's a lot harder, you know, if you want to get deep into it, it's a lot harder evaluation process. Now, it limits things because obviously you're having a limited set of these, right? You're not going to have, if you have a hundred cards and they're all sets of five, then you're only looking at 20 sets of things. And so, you know, there's give and take there, but I agree with you. I, I like what they did with it. And I hope that they do something with that again in the future. You know, it didn't work for Star Wars, but I hope that they don't feel like it was that packet idea that took away from that game and, you know, made it not as successful as they thought it was going to be. Well, and and something Star Wars did. So if somebody did this idea, I would recommend the same thing that did kind of uh, ameliorate the idea you were just talking about there is... Each set, generally speaking, had like one major character or one major card that was the thing that got you excited. So yes, maybe you're looking at six cards, but really you're like, I want to have the Millennium Falcon. I want to have Yoda. <laughs> I want to have Han Solo. You know, and, and the sure. rest would kind of fall into place, but you didn't care about... Now, yes, if you're getting deep, you care, but otherwise, this is for more casual deck builders or deck constructors. You don't care if the like three other cards are the exact perfect thing for the combos you're going for. You just want to have the characters you like, and you're good to go. Now, that's tough to replicate because you have, of course, the the theme recognition and kind of character recognition of the Star Wars brand. But again, if they could make it work, I'd be super excited to play that game. All right. So something else I want to see, and this is the exact opposite of deck construction. So really doesn't have anything to do with our design discussion tonight, except <laughs> it's going to be auto-generated decks. So similar to what they're doing with Keyforge. Imagine if every hero in your game was a unique hero and they played in their own unique way and you just got given this deck that was randomly constructed for you and you know you were given similar challenges as other heroes so maybe the enemy isn't randomly generated but your heroes are and you kind of have to the one thing i love about keyforge is you have to figure out how your deck plays and that's why i like these pre-generated decks that people can give to you that just come in the game this is iron man and these are his base cards play with that you know don't construct it at all i like that because the tactics come out in the gameplay and not in the deck construction and i guess we should kind of point that out you know it leads into a good discussion here where deck construction and people who like deck construction i think that is a lot of the game and so you know with all the things that we're saying we like here it does take away from what other people like. Some people like doing a lot of that work outside of the game. You know, the reason we like pre-constructed decks and the reason we like easy deck building and simpler tools for deck building is we don't want to spend a lot of time outside of the game. We want our decisions and our tactics in the game to dictate success or failure. But not everybody's like that. I mean, there are a lot of people that love Lord of the Rings LCG, and a lot of your success or failures dictated outside of that game, and people do love that. So that's something to keep in mind as well. You know, depending on the audience you're looking for, by simplifying this deck building, you may actually lose potential people who would like your game as well. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> it just made me ask myself the question, if they had sold Marvel Champions as not a deck constructor... And it was more like Sentinels, and it was like, here is the Spider-Man deck, here is the Iron Man deck. I might like it better? I'm not sure. 
Because, yeah, you're right. Like, I, I am, in a way, even though I play deck construction games, I'm kind of trying to avoid the deck construction in a lot of ways. And clearly that makes me not do as well with things like Lord of the Rings, whereas the the very, uh, you know, passionate fan base that we have at One Stop Co-op Shop for that game, a lot of the things they love is just trying out wacky combos. Like, Steve wants to just do a Hobbit deck, and he's going to do a Hobbit deck. So, no, a r- really great point there, I think. I think we've gone over a lot, you know, the pros, the cons. Is there anything else that you wanted to bring up about deck construction or things to be wary of when you're doing this or tips for people who, you know, who do want to consider deck construction as part of their game? No, I I think that's about it. I, I do think it's going to be a tough ask for any designer because deck construction kind of lives on the wideness of the pool so as an example, look at Seed Storm that I covered very recently. There are more expansions coming. There are extra ones available for the Kickstarter. But if those don't come in the kind of near future, that game might feel far too limited because it's basing itself on deck construction. So I guess I guess I do have a final caution. If you're going to do a game with deck construction, you probably want to go one of two ways. Either just really be sure you're going to be successful, get that advertising out there early, and you know, make it a huge thing. They can come out with expansion after expansion. Good luck with that. That's a (laughs) tough thing to do for anybody. Absolutely. Or alternatively, probably the better option is make the game big enough and have enough options and enough cards in it that it can stand alone and be its own beast and you're done. Uh, You know, and then if, of course, you get the chance, lucky you, to do more with it down the line, that's awesome. But, you know, I, I would not count on that because (laughs) you might not be very happy with how things turn out well yeah i mean not every company is fantasy flight and you almost have to have this lcg model this living card game model where you have constant releases every month you're getting something new because otherwise people get bored yeah they'll make try your 10 combinations you have in the box or 20 combinations but at some point they're going to run out of stuff to do with your game unless there is some other factor that keeps them coming back so if this is going to be the core element of your game and the core thing you're focusing it around first of all i mean there's only one company that's really doing it right now and that's fantasy flight games and they can get away with it because they do have this constant stream of releases so pitching this game also is going to be very difficult unless like mike said you can do something with 100, 200, 300 cards where it feels like you have enough replayability in that box that you're not going to need to get stuff down the road. All right, so there you go. A little bit of thoughts on deck construction and our Marvel Champion review. Thanks for checking out this episode. We'll be back next week with some more fun for October. Yeah, thanks for joining us again, and keep in touch. We are going to get back to our original format and hopefully stick with it. My goal is for this entire month of October, we're just doing top five lists and cool design discussions. Although we did get a request in one of my YouTube videos recently from several people for a episode focused on gaming with kids. So not for this month, but maybe something to look at. I don't know, holiday time? That would kind of fit in there, right? Absolutely. You know, we also do our end of the year list where we look at every game we've reviewed this year. Mike said Marvel Champions wasn't his top game of the year, but maybe it'll be mine. Who knows? We'll find out in December. And don't forget to check out the Slack. Awesome community there. Lots of discussion. Yeah, we've now got uh, Every Night is Game Night over there with their own channel. We have Liz from Beyond Solitaire with her own channel. 
So we, you know, we are trying to truly be the one-stop shop for both solo and cooperative gaming. So come on over, join us. We have uh, some great things to talk about. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another Top 5 list. hey Hey I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, oh. this is... <laughs> Hold on. Let's do that again. <laughs> As you guys know and have heard from us several times in the past, we love simultaneous play. It all started with Renegade for us, which was actually the first review copy of a game that we ever got was Renegade. Not Renegade. The Reckoners. Reckoners. (laughs) So as you guys know, we love simultaneous play, and this does a great job of introducing it. Wait, what the heck am I doing? All right, let me go back to where I was. (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry, stupid cricket, man. I don't know where it is or I'd go kill it, but can you hear this? Oh, yeah, I can hear it. Yeah, no. Now that's and the I first mean, time. Yeah, no, no, no. My thing is, is can hear it as well, unfortunately, because I can see when you're talking, it's spiking. Oh, thanks, cricket. Game easier and kind of acts as a tutorial. Uh, same thing Marvel Champions did here. Um. Yeah, it's a cricket, man. Takes away your thoughts. <laughs> hey, Mike. Yeah. We're taking over. One <laughs> stop, baby. Nice. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs>